We appreciate you leading us, brother, and appreciate you resurrecting some of the old ones as well from time to time. Boy, they're so rich. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to be this morning, continuing on in the book of Jeremiah, sort of hitting some of the high points in the book. And this is what it says. Run to and fro fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take notes. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. Anguish, you have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great and will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God, but they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. This is the word of God. Thank you for coming, and you can be seated. Please bow with me. Father, I pray that as we look into your word that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray, of course, that your Holy Spirit would do what he does and that he would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that he would also give us grace to walk in obedience to what is revealed therein. Lord, I pray that he would also do what he does in drawing sinners to himself and building up the saints. Lord, we need your grace this morning. We need your help. I pray that you would give us grace to walk in the truth. Give us a want to obey that's greater than our want to follow the world, the flesh, the devil, overcome our hardness of heart. And we'll pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Well, I know that I'm not alone in having met people in the past in my life who I thought were one way, and then it was revealed that this person was another way. I know I'm not alone also in being hurt by people who you thought were one way, and then it comes out that they were another way. I'll be honest, in the past as well, before coming to Christ, I even was one of those people who put on a facade that I was one way, but I was actually another way. I've been guilty of it myself in the past. But the Lord, who calls himself the truth, saved me and gave me a desire to be truthful, not to be fake anymore, not to be hypocritical anymore, because that's what it really boils down to. And that's one of those words that's so piercing and such a strong insult if someone ever calls you that because it's really one of the things that none of us really like is when someone's just fake. Like Judas, right? No one's ever going to name their child that because of what's behind that name. He was the worst fake, the worst phony, the worst hypocrite there's really ever been because of who his, his hypocrisy was against, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I've titled the message this morning, How to Know If You're a Fake. How to Know If You're a Fake. Because what we're going to see, Jeremiah is given the task really by the Lord to almost be like a detective. The Lord tells him, run to and fro and look for this. Look for this. And he even does some investigative work of his own, doesn't he? Later on in verses 4 and 5, he says, so I'm going I'm to go check out these people and see what they have to say, see what they're like. And so it's almost as if he's told to do some detective work and see who's real and who's false. See if there's anyone real or see if they're all fakes. So how to know if you're a fake. Let's look at this in chapter 5. The Lord gives him another task. He's the prophet of the Lord. He's now speaking, by the way. I know we, we didn't cover anything in chapter 4. I know that. Um, chapter 4 really covers a lot of what's already been said. And so what's clear in chapter 4, though, is that he's now speaking to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom. So now his focus is really where his focus is going to primarily stay, primarily stay for the rest of the book, to the people of Judah in the southern kingdom. That's why he says, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. That was the capital of the southern kingdom where they worshipped the northern kingdom being Samaria. And so God tells him, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. What's he supposed to do? Look and take note. For what? Search her squares. Jerusalem, children, if you're wondering, is being personified as a woman. Search her squares, the squares of the town. What's he supposed to look for? A man. Singular. Notice that. See if you can find a man, even just one. What about this man who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her? The her is Jerusalem. If you were wondering, wait, he said, find a man that I may forgive her. What's going on here? Is this transgenderism from long ago? No, no, no. The her is Jerusalem as a whole. He's saying, if I can find a man, just one, I'll be kind and gracious to the city, kind of reminds us of what happened with Abraham, right, with Sodom and Gomorrah, yes? This action for looking for those who would turn, who would listen, who would follow God is very similar also to what we see in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, there's a proverb. In that proverb, we find wisdom is also personified, just like Jerusalem is being personified as a woman, Here, wisdom is personified as a woman, and she's doing something. She is also calling and searching. She's looking. What's she looking for? Look at verses 20 through 33 of Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. This is the wisdom of God, by the way. This is God's wisdom going out to people. At the head of the noisy streets... She cries out, just like at the corners of the city here in our text. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, meaning I'll give you wisdom. I will make you Have the wisdom of the Almighty. I will give that to you as a gift. If you'll turn from your simple, foolish ways. Verse 24. Because I have called 
and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one is heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I'll not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You might say, well, that sounds harsh. He's saying that even when they say, hey, whoops, um, now we're sorry because it's really bad. Now, now we'd like some help, please. He's saying, nope, no. I called too often and for too long and with too much patience and with too much grace and you refused all those times and wisdom is saying, no, not now. You made your bed. You're going to sleep in it. You're going to feel what you you're going to feel what your sins have earned you, what you deserve. That's what he's saying. Why are men like this? Why are we like this? Are we so hesitant to submit and turn and listen? Romans chapter 3 tells us, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul, Paul is speaking about how all men are under sin. All mankind is under sin. He mentions, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that's Gentiles, are all under sin. For it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Which is interesting because Jeremiah is told, go throughout the city, search the square, see if you can find a man who does justice, who seeks truth, and here we say, Paul says, there's none righteous, none who seeks God. And Paul's saying, we're all like that. We're all born with this natural bent towards sin. Mankind is born with a sin nature. And that's why we are such rebels before the Lord captures and changes our rebellious hearts. And that's exactly what... He's finding here. Jeremiah is finding that they're, they're all like this. There's none whom have actually turned to the Lord away from their wicked ways. They love their sin and they're holding on to it tightly, ferociously, refusing to repent. You're not far from that if you continue to follow the ways of the world if you continue to follow the lust of the flesh, and if you actually believe the lies of the wicked one, you're not far from this. I'm not far from this if we don't listen to the Lord and follow his ways. If we continuously, and it's always, listen, it's always little by little. You've heard of the death by a thousand cuts? It's little by little that we fall into these things. It's subtle and it's slow. We usually don't notice it when we start to drift and fall. 
That's why when a brother or sister comes to you and says, hey, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. That's a gift from God when a brother turns on their brother from his sin, from the error of his ways. And when you sit under preaching and the Lord speaks to you through that and convicts you, points at something in your heart and says, that's, that's not what we need. That's a gift. And you heed that and you live. The Lord's caring for you at those times. Jer- Jerusalem has no such man, nobody like that. Verse two, this is what he finds when he starts walking around, looking. He takes observation of what they're saying. It says, though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. What's he talking about? As the Lord lives. What's well, a common Old Testament phrase taken upon the lips of people when someone was either promising to do something or not do something. Like when Boaz promised Ruth that he would take her as a wife. He says this in Ruth 3.13. Listen to this. He says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He's saying, as the Lord Almighty lives and will live forever, I promise by him who lives forever that I'll do this thing. It's taking up like a solemn oath, a promise that you're either going to do something or not do something. It's all throughout the Old Testament, especially in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and even First and Second Samuel. You see it in those history sections of the Old Testament a lot. People saying this phrase, saying this phrase. Sometimes it's used when stating the truthfulness of something. So it's either used when they were going to make an oath, I promise to do this, or I promise I'll never do this. Sometimes they also use it when they're saying, this is absolutely truthful. You can bank on it. That's what we would say. Listen to this. This is when Jonathan and David are trying to come up with a a way to give a message to David that things are going to be either okay for him or things are going to be bad for him. So he doesn't need to come back to the kingdom because Saul might kill him. They thought, how can we sort of make up a code so that when you're hiding in the field, I can do this and, and, and you'll know what my dad said about whether or not he has malintentions for you or not. 1 Samuel 20, verses 20, 1 Samuel 20, verse 21, Jonathan says this to David. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come for as the Lord lives, it's safe for you and there's no danger. He's saying, so if I say this, it's safe. And then he goes on to say, and if I say this, it's not safe. So he's saying, as the Lord lives, I'm telling you. If I say this, as the Lord lives, it's safe. This is the the absolute truth. I can think of no other way to show you how truthful I'm being right now except to say, as the Lord lives. The sureness of the Lord's being that he ever lives and cannot die That's the sureness they swore upon either for the truthfulness of a statement or the oath taken. But at the same time, the people of Judah were denying God's existence by living as though he were no God at all. Because it says, though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely, they were not doing rightly. They were swearing falsely, saying one thing, doing another hypocritical, liars, disobedient. Listen to this. These are just like the Jews whom Paul mentions in the book of Titus. 
They profess to know God. This is Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. They profess to know God, yet they deny him by their works. What does that show us? What's that show us? What, what truth does that give us? It's possible to say you know God and not really know God. That's a simple truth that we just all need to remember because we seem to take a lot of people sometimes at face value when they say they know God. Maybe it's just because we're just trusting. I don't know. But we seem to think that. Oh, he says he's a Christian, so, so, so he's in. Well, he said he said the prayer, so he's in. Yes, I know he's living with his girlfriend. Yes, I know he's been living with his girlfriend for 10 years. Yes, I know he cusses like I say. And he drinks. And yes, he never reads his Bible. He never talks about God. I get that. But he said he's a Christian. Let's not fall into that. Let's not be that. Though they say, as the Lord lives. And look at Lord there in your Bible. Notice it's all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the word Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God, the special name of God. So they're even using the right name. It's not just general God. They're using as Yahweh lives, I will do this thing or I won't do this thing or this is true or this is not true. But their lives are showing something very different. Now, just as the Jews were looked upon from the outside as all being God followers, think about this, guys. Listen. If you were living in that day and you were among the other nations out there, you would look on at the Jews and say, yeah, they're, they're Yahweh followers. They're, look at the way they dress. Look at the way they talk. Look at the way they eat. I mean, just look at them. As, you know, they're, they're God followers. They, that's the God that they follow. So, just as the Jews were looked upon from the outside as being God followers. So listen, a lot of times we're looked upon here in the South as if we're all God followers, aren't we? What do they call this area but the Bible belt, right? You've all driven down 65 South where it says, go to church or the devil will get you. You've seen that sign. I've seen it since I was a little boy driving to Prattville back and forth when I was a little boy because that's where my grandparents lived. And I remember... Being in the back seat, seeing that sign. Everybody sees it. It's on the internet, too. People take pictures of it. They're like, ha, ah, look at these country bumpkins. Look at this crazy stuff I saw. It actually says, go to church or the devil will get you. So people look at us here in the South, and they think, kind of like the people thought about the Jews. Oh, yeah, they're all, they're all God followers. But when you actually enter into the culture, when you do some investigating, like Jeremiah was doing, when you enter into the culture, when you enter into conversations, and when you enter into people's homes even, you see how people live, how they talk, what they truly cherish, though they may profess to know God. It's unfortunately too common that we see many people deny him by their works, professing him with their lips, but denying him with their lives. How? How do they do it? Disobedience. It just comes down to plain, old-fashioned disobedience to the word of God. That's it. That's the litmus test. Do they obey the Lord? Do they want to obey the Lord? And I'm not saying, if you obey, you're saved. So, you know, just try really hard to obey. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying, if you want to obey, and it's actually a part of your life, 
because you really want to do it out of joy, not out of duty, but out of delight. That's the litmus test. And so that's why Jesus can say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments, he says. And First John tells us, and his commandments are not burdensome, meaning we delight in them. We don't look at his laws and say, oh gosh, so joyless, this Christian thing. Ugh, whatever, but I gotta do it to get to heaven. <laughs> no, we look at the laws and we say, oh, they're precious, they're wonderful, they're holy, they're good for me, and I want to live in them, and I want to teach my children to live in them because they're right, holy, true altogether. They're glorious. We look at the law of God, we look at his love and his law, and we say, this is good. So what do we find in verse two? This is really the first point. The words don't match their actions. So in verse two, we see their lies show they loathe God. Their lies show that they loathe God. They're saying, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. So that's the first point that he finds. Number one, this is what shows if someone's fake is their lies. They're phony. They swear by the Lord, but they're really hypocritical because they do something very differently. Right talk, wrong walk. Their lies show they loathe God. Now, what else does he find? What else does he talk about in verse 3? As he continues to walk through Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? Well, of course they do. Of course they look for truth. And so, he says, you struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They've made their faces harder than rock. They've refused to repent. So you've struck them down, but they felt no anguish. Anguish, you consumed them. And they didn't heed his correction. So no anguish of soul, no correction of walk, no repentance of sin. He's not finding any of that there. He's only finding people that continue to harden their hearts no matter how much the Lord disciplines them. Proverbs 15.5 says this. Listen, this is so good for us. Because there's many of us that despise correction. There's many of us that do not like to be corrected. We don't. Don't tell me what to do. Ever thought that? Ever said that? <laughs> A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is wise. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is wise. That's a great proverb. And really the principle there, you might say, oh, well, that says your father's instruction. You know, what if this person talking to me is not my dad? It doesn't apply. No, this is a principle. Anyone in any sort of authority position over you who is giving you instruction, correction, it says if you heed that, you're wise. And it says if you don't, you're a fool. A fool despises instructions. And think about those times when you were a bit more rebellious in your heart, perhaps back in the day, maybe when you were young, foolish, maybe even last week. I don't know where you are. 
Think about those times that you refused and said, no, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do it my way. How'd that work out for you? Right? What fruit did that produce? You glad? Did it bring good things? No. Folly, foolishness, things you said, I wish I would not have done it that way. And what's true about these people? Look what it says at the end of verse 3. They made their faces harder than rock. They've refused to repent. Stone hard faces. I, I've seen it in people before. As a pastor, I not only have to encourage people, tell them the truth, and help them when they're at their bedside, like I did with Trish just a few days ago prior to her going into the surgery. And I'm there to pray and encourage and read psalms of help and things like that. But also, as a pastor, my responsibility, too, is to tell people the truth, even when it's hard. Of course, in a loving way. But still say the truth none the less. And I've seen people more than once who I say something to. I say, this is the truth. This is what you should do. And this is just the truth of your situation, too. And I've seen the face. I see it in the face. They're not saying it with their mouth because they're being polite. But I've seen it in the face. The face gets hard. I can read the face that says, don't tell me what to do. I'm standing here in your presence, Pastor, because I have to be polite and all that. I was raised to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, please, and thank you, and all that stuff. But I don't like what you're saying, and I'm not going to listen to it, and I'll do what I want to do, and don't tell me what to do. I see it in the face more than once. Or either heard about it later on from someone who told me, yeah, when you said that to him, he didn't like that. He got angry. And I thought, well, but I spoke the truth. So I was obedient. How he responds to the truth is between him and God. But I said nothing wrong. Hardness of the face, the stone face. I've seen it in other people as well. Just look at me right in the face and say such hard, hurtful things about the Lord, about me, simply for standing for the truth. You see it in their face. Stone, hard, callous, bronze, brazen face. And he says, that's what I see when I walk around, Lord. You sent me to do this investigative work. And what I'm seeing is they're not receiving correction well. <laughs> You're correcting them and correcting them and correcting them. And I'm not seeing a softness of heart. I'm not seeing a repentant heart. I'm not seeing anything but a brazen face. And so next point, next point would be this one. Their demeanor shows they despise God. That's the point of number, that's the point of verse three. We saw verse two shows us their lies show they loathe God. Their demeanor shows they despise God. It's written on their face. And what's interesting about this is this hard face, God uses this about their enemies. When he's talking about the curses that are gonna come upon them, they don't follow the Lord in Deuteronomy 28. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 28, verses 49 through 51. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who show no respect to the old, show no mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle, this army. It will eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It will also leave you no grain, no wine, no oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they've, until they've caused you to perish. So he's saying, you 
And this hard face that you've got there, that hard face, harder than a rock, we see in verse 3, this is the same type of attitude the enemies of God are said to have. They're so hard-faced, they don't show any respect for the old or the young. Usually, people, no matter how evil they are, they usually will say, yeah, we don't, we don't mess with kids. I'm not going to push down an old lady. You know, I mean, no. So, no. He's saying, yeah, these, this is how brazen they are. I don't care who you are. And guess what, Israel? You've become like them. Your sin will turn you into someone you don't recognize. You need to hear this. Don't play with sin. Don't take those temptations you see on the internet. Don't take those temptations you see to get more money at work that are false and wrong. They will lead you to become someone you hate. Right now, you think of that person, you think, oh, what a wicked person. I hate that person. Whoever's like that deserves to die. You'll become like that person, just like David did. David sees a woman bathing, breaks almost all ten of the commandments to get her, kill her husband, cover everything up. Nathan comes to him and says, hey, well, there was this, let me tell you what this guy did once in this story, and ooh, isn't that bad? And David says, yes, he's bad. You know what he says? As the Lord lives, that man should die. He actually says that. As the Lord lives, that man d- deserves to die. And what's Nathan say? Yeah, I'm talking about you, bub. You're the man I'm talking about. David had become someone he didn't even recognize. That can happen to you too. Take warning. I am loving on you now by telling you truth. Trying to keep you from the wicked way. Trying to keep you from coming like these people. So when the Lord comes back one day and looks for his own, you'll be among that number. You won't be the ones that he's, nope, not you, not you, not you. I'm looking for my people. You won't be fake. Verse 4 and 5. Then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I'll go to the great, and I'll speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of the God. But, but they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst their bonds. And that's what brings us to point number three of verses four and five, gives us point number three, their rebellion shows they reject God. Their lies show they loathe God. Their demeanor shows they despise God. Their rebellion shows they reject God. What do I mean their rebellion? See, at first he thought, listen, I know what the problem is. I know what the problem is, God. It's just that we've got poor people here. They don't know how to read and write. They don't, they've not read the Torah that much. They just don't know your ways, Lord. That's, that's why we're seeing all this problem, because they just don't know. So how can they obey something that they don't know? That's all it is, Lord. That's all it is. So this is what I'll do in my detective work that I'm supposed to do, going to and fro, searching. I'll go to the great. I'll go to the leaders, the governors, the priests, the Levites. I'll go to all those high people, well-educated, academics, powerful people, rich ones. I'll go to those. And he says, oh my No, no, this isn't just because they don't know. It's much worse. They actually do know. They actually know the truth. And they're purposefully disobeying it. 
See, that's why you and I as Americans, and, and even in the Bible Belt, in a very truth-saturated culture, that's why we're held to even a higher standard. You will be held to a higher standard by the Lord because of all the truth that you've been exposed to. Like these people. They knew it. Not only did that, they were Jews. <laughs> I mean, this isn't just people in some tribe down the Amazon. These are the chosen people of Almighty God. He gave them the law. He revealed himself to them through Moses and many others. They saw signs, wonders, miracles. They were chosen by him, a special race of people. And they're saying, no, no, no. We get all that. What we also get is this. We don't like that. Let me tell you what we do like. We like our sins and our pleasures and our passions. And so God, yeah, I don't think so. We'll do this instead. We know everything that you've said. However, Lord, we disagree. Their rebellion shows that they reject God. It says, let us burst their bonds, cast their cords from us. The lies showing they loathe God, the meaner showing they despise God, rebellion showing they reject God. See, your words and your actions, the, really the, the heart of all this, if you bring it all together, your words and your actions must match up with one another if you're genuine. And the fact that they're saying, look what they're saying. I'm going to make a connection here with the Psalms. But they all like had broken the yoke. They had burst their bonds, broken the yoke, burst their bonds. You know where he's getting that language from? He's getting that language from Psalm chapter 2. Listen, Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. David says this. This was written prior to Jeremiah. So they would have had their hands on this text more than likely. It's probably where Jeremiah is getting the language from. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? So this is talking about the nations, not just the Jews, all nations unsaved, these are like Jews and Gentiles mixed, or really maybe even just Gentiles, but definitely not just Jews. Why do the nations raise and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together to do what? Against the Lord, and not only that, against his anointed. This is the Messiah that they were expecting, the anointed one. That's what... Messiah can also mean anointed one of God. So they're saying not only against the Lord, but against this promised one who's coming, this Messiah. We don't like either one of those guys. We're taking a stand together against them to say what? Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Same language as the Jews are saying here in verse 5, but they all like had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. Jeremiah is saying, you're just like the people in Psalm chapter 2. Those nations that rage against God and against his anointed, you're the man. Ouch. For Jews to hear that, what a scathing indictment against them. How horrible. 
their rebellion showed that they reject God. I want to talk about this yoke for a second. Because, listen, being fake is really harder than being genuine, isn't it? Being fake is being harder than being genuine. Because to be fake, you have to put on a show, have to act, have to remember all the lies you've told and be consistent with them. But being genuine is just free. There's joy in being genuine. So listen, listen. I want to talk about this yoke because it says they, they threw off the yoke of God. This is a yoke up on stage. Whenever I used to read a yoke when I first got a Bible and was very young, period, I thought yoke was the same thing as like an egg yoke or something. I, I didn't know what the difference was. So maybe you don't either. They're spelled different. This is a Y-O-K-E yoke, not a Y-O-L-K-E yoke like in an egg. A Y-O-K-E yoke is this. A big chunk of wood that goes over the neck of two animals, two beasts of burden, two cows or oxen that you might plow a field with. One of their necks goes on the left side and one of their necks goes in that loop on the right side. And that big black thing in the middle, it's a piece of iron that you put the rope through so you can actually drive the animals together to plow your fields. You would tie that to the plow and it would pull it. So this is a yoke and this yoke is a symbol of being united with God. We're yoked to the Lord. You know what they would do with these yokes? You may have heard this. They would put the more experienced animal on one side and the younger one on the other to help train the younger one who didn't know what this big chunk of wood on my neck's all about. The older one is there on the other side saying, no, just I got you, because they're stuck together. And so this older one would do exactly what he was supposed to do. When the man made a sound or said the word for go, he would go or stop, he would stop. And so when you're yoked together with someone, where he goes, you go. When he stops, you stop. If he goes right, you go right. If he goes left, you go left. And for the younger one, that was good because he's doing everything that he's supposed to do at that point. So when we're yoked with God, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be in submission to your God because you were made to worship him and to follow him. And they wanted to throw that off. They said, no, we're better without you, God. We don't need to be tied to you. I'll do this by myself. I do what I want to do. Don't tell me where to go and what to do. I know better. I'll be my own God. And that's really the heart of all this. And being fake is actually being harder than being genuine being fake is harder than being genuine. Simply following Christ is where you're going to find your rest. Because in rebellion, these people threw off their yoke. But what does Jesus say? Jesus was speaking to a bunch of rebellious, hypocritical people once. And what did he say? He said, come to me, all you who labor, that working, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he said, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And once you say, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, we're supposed to be yoked with Jesus. Jesus on one side, and you on the other. And guess what? When you do that, you know what you find? Joy. When you're yoked with Jesus Christ, that's where you won't even want to be fake anymore. Because you'll finally have joy in Christ.
Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. I pray that you would please help us not to be like the people of Israel, wanting to throw off the yoke, wanting to do things our way, wanting to be fake with our words, wanting to be backwards with our intentions of heart, wanting to be um, brazen and on our faces, just hard-hearted, rebellious and rejecting you. Lord, help us not to be liars, hard-hearted, rebellious people. Like the people of Israel, we're being. Lord, help us to rest in your dear son, Jesus Christ, to be yoked together with him, to find fulfillment and joy in being real and really in the truth and not being fake any longer. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.